Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. My my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. All night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Amen. That is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. We've been in this series called Songs of Jesus, where we've been looking at the book of the Psalms. Jesus quoted this book more than any other book during his ministry, and we are learning how to be real before God, how to be authentic. Mary just read Psalm 42, a pretty authentic and sad psalm, a downer, many say. And what it teaches us is that God wants every emotion that we experience this side of heaven. There's a range of emotion that comes from living life, and he wants to journey alongside of. That's what the Psalms teach us. And I chose this Psalm this morning because when times are tough and when we're feeling down, it's easy to feel like giving in. By succumbing to the circumstances, for feeling despair, by, by, by looking around and, and thinking, I'm just, going to, I'm just going to give up. I'm, I'm going to throw in the towel, especially with God in our relationship with him. Why, God, would you do something like this? Why would you allow bad things to happen if you really love me? We are tempted to give in at times when we are down, but the psalmist doesn't do that. This psalmist gives us an alternative to giving in. He's saying, and he's going to teach us, that when we feel like giving in, we can actually press in to God. 
We can tap into the unfailing love, the living water that keeps coming when, it, when, when, when we call ourselves Christians. It, it means being okay with not being okay. That when we need saving, we have a Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. That we don't need to do life alone. We can depend on him. This psalmist depends on God. He doesn't give in. He presses in to God. That's what Psalm 42 is all about. And we're going to dive in. But first, I want to acknowledge that your life right now may look like your front yard. Desolate, dry. Yeah, crunchy. <laughs> we all look the same. And if it doesn't, then you're breaking the rules because you're supposed to cut the sprinklers, okay? So if you haven't felt convicted yet, there's the stinger. We're living through a, a drought right now in our culture. And, and it's a beautiful symbol of God. Have you realized like when you water, you can water all day long, but that's your own doing? What happens when we get just the smallest rain? Doesn't even have to be much. What happens? Immediately green, the grass comes out. It's like just a little bit of God's blessing and rain can do way more than our watering. The message this morning is don't give in, press into the one who can water your soul and bring something beautiful out of a desolate area. We are a group of imperfect people. We don't have it figured out, but we follow the only perfect savior. His name is Jesus Christ. And this Psalm is all about God's overwhelming love for us. So let's dive in. This heading that we read in Psalm 42 says, for the director of music of Maskil or the sons of Korah, we can just zoom past that and say that's a heading. It doesn't even have a verse. It's not important. It actually has a beautiful significance in this psalm. The director of music, a maskil, maskil, some think that it means instruction. It's a word of instruction. And, and I believe that this is a word of instruction for us as we deal with the sadness, with the despair of this life. And it's of the sons of Korah. So most of the psalms are attributed to King David. Eleven of them are attributed to these guys, the sons of Korah. And who are they? They're worship leaders. The guys that were up here, they, they lead God's people in worship. So the first Korah, his name was Korah, Moses' time, that's another story. He doesn't do well. So he uh, betrays Moses and dies, but these are his descendants. And God's in the redemption business, right? So God still uses these guys, even though they have uh, you know, bad ancestry. And then in David's time, so like 1,400 or so is Moses, 1,000 B.C. is David. So 400 years later, these guys are leading worship in God's temple. So they are literally, as the priests are sacrificing stuff, they're, they're just singing God's praises. And, and they're leading God's people in worship. They have an awesome job. Uh, and, and so these guys are keeping it real. And what that teaches me is that there is no such thing as a professional Christian. There's no such thing as a human that, can, that, that has it all together or a human that, that is so close to God that nothing bad ever happens in their life. No, we all go through despair. We all go through dry seasons, and that's 
who's writing this psalm. There's two potential contexts for this psalm. One is in David's time. David was actually kicked out of his, he was run off by his son, Absalom. It's a crazy story. But here's why this, is, this context is important. He brings his worship leaders. He's like, hey guys, let's go. So they go north and he is seeking refuge with the sons of Korah. And one group of interpreters say that this is where this is happening, the context. In northern Israel, they're on the run. People are wanting them dead, and, and they're saying, man, this is tough, but Lord, I'm going to put my hope in you. The other context is the whole uh, Israelites, they're in exile, so they're out, of, they're out of the promised land, and they're living away from home. Again, tough times. Either way, things are not good. They are going through a dry season, and instead of giving in, the sons of Korah teach us to press in to God. That's just the heading. Let's go to verse one. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Y'all, I have never experienced day after day after day of crying yet, but I have sat with many of you that have. As you have mourned mom and dad, of you have mourned the loss of husband or wife, as you have mourned the loss of a child uh, outside of the womb or inside of the womb. What this psalmist is speaking to is the human experience experience filled with despair and sadness. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. So he is reminiscing on the good times when times were, were better, when, when they were here, they were at church singing God's praises with one another. Camp Eagle folks, where are you? Camp Eagle, folks, where are you? Hey, there we go. If you've never gone to camp, camp is an awesome experience because you're set apart from the world. You're, you're filled with messages of Jesus, with God's people, and, and you're also singing. I mean, it, camp is fun, and, and I think a lot of times we have those mountaintop experiences. Literally, if you go to camp, there are hilltop experiences that, that you have with God so that we can remember. See, not all life is a hilltop experience, is it? But we have those moments with the Lord so that we can hold on to, so that we can remember in times when we are in despair, when we are sad. We've been looking at three questions through this series. Adore, what does the psalm teach us about? God, admit, what does the psalm teach us about ourselves? And then aspire, how is this psalm compelling me to respond? And this morning, I'm jumbling them up. And I'm going to start with admit. So far, this psalmist has, is teaching us that we need to admit that we are all longing for something. We're thirsty in some way. We cannot sustain ourselves in this world. We need nourishment. We need out something from the outside to come within and help us through life. Some of us, uh, when we need water, we instead drink sweet tea. Instead of being nourished by living water that is enough, we drink soda. And, and we like our Dr. Peppers. That, that's our human nature when God says, no, I am the source of living water. In Matthew chapter 5, the fourth beatitude, Jesus, as he's beginning his ministry, says, blessed 
is the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. When we hunger and thirst for God, this is a promise. We will be satisfied. He is enough. He is able to satisfy any need that we have. Moving on, John chapter 7, Jesus says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So we're all longing for something. Are we longing for God or are we longing for something else? The problem is that in our human heart, in our human heart that God is changing and, and sanctifying and restoring and redeeming, we have a choice to make. Am I going to give in to temptation? Am I going to give in to the circumstances of my life? Or am I going to press in to God? Am I going to hunger and thirst for his will versus my will. Jeremiah, the prophet, he was actually called the weeping prophet because he loved God's people and was in such despair because there was a chasm between God's people and God at the time. This was the moment of the exile around six to 700 BC or so. And he writes this, the same thing about uh, that's written about God's people is true of our hearts. In Jeremiah 2 verse 13, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. We instead, again, of choosing good old H2O, we drink sweet tea. Instead of asking God to fill us in you and saying, Lord, all, all I want is you. We say, you know what, God, I'm not, I'm not doing too well. And so instead of coping in a healthy way by coming to church, by reading my Bible, by praying, by going to a community group, by literally saying your promises out loud, I'm going to cope with other things. I'm going to turn to binge watching Netflix. I'm going to turn to an alcohol addiction. I'm going to turn to pornography. I'm going to turn to these cisterns that are man-made that leak. We build our own way of dealing with serious stuff, this despair and the sadness that is caused by the world. We'll talk about that. But instead of turning to God, we turn to other things. We need to ask ourselves, what are we longing for? Am I thirsting for the things of God or am I thirsting for something else? The psalmist in verse five says, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. We read two things, two things that the psalmist does here. The first is self reflection. Very important. Introspection. He asks his soul. By the way, we are a soul. We don't have one. We are one. This is the Hebrew word nefesh, and it literally means throat. It doesn't only talk about our spirit. It talks about our flesh and our spirit. Holistically, we are a soul. And so he's saying, what's wrong with me? What's going on to me? Why am I downcast. Why am I disturbed? This is really healthy self 
reflection. Now, psychologists call this positive self-talk. Do you know that you and I talk to ourselves more than any other person? We don't talk to our wives or our husbands or our kids or our colleagues or our friends. We talk to ourselves more than any other person. What do you tell yourself? This is a healthy model of what it looks like to talk to yourself and ask, what's going on? Why am I downcast? Why am I disturbed? Chances are that there are three reasons why we feel sad, why we feel despair. Number one, we just need to look around. We live in a broken world. It doesn't take us long to scroll. If you do it too much, it's actually called doom scrolling because there is so much bad news out there. And then you sense despair. What is going on with the world? We talked about the drought. You don't even want to get into politics and all that stuff. Out there is despair and anguish. Why are you downcast? Well, because we live in a broken world. Jesus came and he will come again to make all things new. And we're actually put here on earth to help that process as we love our enemies, as we forgive those who hurt us. So the second reason why we may feel despair or sadness is because we may have been hurt by a broken person, a person close to us that has disappointed us, that has uh, uh, broken our trust and hurt us. Again, it's going to happen when we live in a world filled with broken people. We are going to hurt others. The third reason is that we ourselves have gotten, us, have gotten ourselves into a mess. We have fallen short of God's glorious standards. We have sinned. Our own stuff, our own issues sometimes lead us to despair and anguish. The beautiful part when we have diagnosed, why am I downcast? What is going on? It doesn't just end there. See, the world says that that's enough. Just find whatever is going on and resolve that internally, and that's called your truth. And no one can ever change your truth, uh, do anything with your truth. God's way is different. Yes, self-reflect, and then redirect to God and put your hope in him. Because if we put our hope in ourselves, we are those broken cisterns that leak. If we put our hope in God, he is the source of living water. Anybody out there, put your hope in God. Because when I put my hope in God, I am fully forgiven. There is grace for me for everything that I've ever done. There is hope for my relationships because I can forgive. And as long as it depends on me, I'm going to shoot for harmony. I'm going to try to reconcile that broken relationship because of somebody else's issue. And, and more importantly, I get to show this broken world the hope that I have in Jesus Christ, which again, God uses in his process of making all things new until he comes again. So self-reflect and redirect our hope in God. That's what the psalmist is doing when he says, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Self-reflection and then put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. A question for us, what is getting in the way? What is keeping us from self-reflecting or going to God, it's probably something like busyness. It's probably something like a lack of self-awareness or a going back to admitting a lack of hunger 
for what God wants. Lord, change that in us. What David says in Psalm 51, create in me a clean and pure heart and renew a right living within me. Let's start personally and watch how that impacts our family, our neighborhood, our community, and beyond. In the book of Titus, Paul is speaking to this, and he's saying that our hope is in our Savior, in our God. In Titus 3, 4 through 7, says Paul is writing to Titus, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So we put our hope in God because his love is overwhelming. We sang it this morning, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. We are like a tree in a hurricane. He just keeps you know, washing us with his love. That's how he continues in verse six. My soul is downcast within me. This is back to Psalm 42. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon. So this is in the north of Israel, again, where he is seeking exile from the Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. So this psalm teaches us that we need to admit, what are we thirsting for? That we need to aspire. We, we need to respond by doing some self-reflection and redirecting our hope in God. And then this is what it teaches about God. This is what it teaches to adore, that God's loving kindness is overwhelming. And we need to ask ourselves, have I freely received God's love for me today? Because it is overwhelming, never ending. Let's go back to the verses if we can. We are talking about a waterfall, deep calls to deep, and the roar of a waterfall, waves and breakers have swept over me. Some say that that's, that's the anguish. That's that one thing, uh, one bad thing after another are happening. Others say, no, that's God's love, that God's love is you know, never ending. It doesn't stop. And to me, that makes sense because I actually looked at where Mount Hermon was. So this is, this is that waterfall, uh, probably where the psalmist was at when he wrote this. Let me uh, say a couple of words before going to the next picture. Mount Hermon, hiking through the dense forest reserve, one, one can reach the Benias waterfall in Israel. So you can go there today within 15 minutes, 15 minute hike. I think we got, I think we got this unless it's as hot as, as it is here. The cool spring water tumbling down dangerously into the gorge eventually joins the River Jordan. Caves and rocks surround the area where one can find a few harmless mammals, i.e. deer. Anybody? Isn't that cool? And birds relaxing in the cool air produced by the water. So if you're like me and you just can't wait to get into those waters, you can't because the entry into the water is not permitted throughout the nature reserve, primarily due to the delicate ecosystem but also for the strong currents of this chilly 
stream. Sounds like the overwhelming love that God has for us. This word, this word love that the psalmist uses is the Hebrew word kesed. It's used over 240 times in the Old Testament, more than any other uh, 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 definition for love in the Hebrew Bible. And it's the same love that Jeremiah 31, we read Jeremiah earlier when it, we, we talked about the broken cisterns. There's the living water that we say no to, and, 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 and we, we instead create our own cisterns that leak in verse 31 of the book of Jeremiah, he says this, long ago, the, uh, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. Deep calls to deep. His love never ends. It just washes over us. His mercies are new every day. Isn't that amazing that we have a God that loves us like this psalm ends saying, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast again? We read, why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Let's look at admit aspire and adore. We need to admit that we are longing for something. Question for us, what are we thirsting for? We need to aspire and self-reflect. Why are you downcast? Why am I feeling this way? Is it something that is just a, a, a symptom of this broken world? Is it something that someone has done to me that I'm struggling with? Or is it something that I have done? Either way, our hope is in the God who loves us. His loving kindness, all one word, is over. So I am fully forgiven. I now have the power to forgive and to change this broken world. Here is how I want to close this morning. Jesus was in his final moments. He was uh, going from the upper room after talking about communion and saying, hey, this is my body broken, uh, about to be broken for you. This is my blood that's going to be poured out for you. Now the disciples finally got it, that Jesus wasn't going to be sticking around. And in verse 39 of Luke 22 says, Then, accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, Pray that you will not give in to temptation. So Jesus knows our nature, that we tend to give in, that when times get tough, that we, when we are feeling sad, our MO is often to give in. And what Jesus is saying, don't give in, press in, pray. I, I actually need your prayers. Pray. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. So he modeled what it looks like to press in to the Father. And he prayed uh, the, one, of the, one of his most famous prayers in verse 42. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. He's saying, take this anguish that I'm about to experience, this pain that is going to be overbearing, that is ultimately going to kill me. Lord, if there's any other way, take it away or show me another way. But ultimately, not my will, yours be done. He taps into the source of life. And it says that an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling 
to the ground. Perhaps he was meditating on this very psalm. Lord, why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. At least he stood up again and returned to the disciples only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping? He asked, get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. But even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the 12 disciples. We know how the story ends. He is betrayed. He is tried unfairly. He is convicted and he's crucified and he dies. See, God pressed in so that we could also press into God. We given. That's our MO. But Jesus pressed in for us. In John 4, when he's speaking to the woman at the well, he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. When Jesus was strengthened by the angels. When, when his very disciples gave in, he pressed in so that now he can strengthen us and be the source of living water when we find ourselves in desperate and desolate seasons of life. That, my friends, is available to us this morning. And that's how I want to close, by inviting all of us to receive this overwhelming kessed, loving kindness love that can only come from the one who gave it all for us. And so if you're willing, let's pray, stand, and we'll close with worship. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you, God, for doing something that we never could have done, for paying the price for our sin in full, for bringing about redemption in us and through us for your glory and for the benefit of all of those around us. God, I pray for anyone in the house that is yet to say yes to you, Jesus. I thank you that your grace and your mercy are fresh in you this morning. And if that's you, all God is looking for is just a posture in your heart and a willing heart to say, yes, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you came and lived a perfect life so that you can die to pay the perfect price for my sin. I give my life over to you, in Jesus' name. And Lord, for those of us that may be walking with you for some time and find ourselves in desolate seasons, I pray that you would water our souls this morning with your love, that we would know that there is hope when we press into you. Father, I pray that you would expose any ways that we are giving in to temptation, that we are giving in to the circumstances around us. We thank you that when we confess our sins, we are fully forgiven and healed and that your water allows us to live gives us everlasting life. So we give you all the glory and the praise this morning. We all say the same.